Welcome to the Sports Spectrum Podcast, where faith and sports collide. Here's your host, Jason Romano. This is episode number 65 of the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. My name is Jason Romano. It is great to have you here listening on the program today. As always, you can subscribe and download this podcast on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, everywhere podcasts are found. And all of our content, of course, is at sportspectrum.com, where you can become a member and partner with us for just $36 for one year. Tax deductible, $36, gets you into the Sports Spectrum family. You get four of our magazines, a quarterly magazine with really great content in it. And you also get access to 30-plus years of Sports Spectrum content going back to 1985. So join us, become a partner, $36.00. Go to sportspectrum.com, click the join button, and you become a member. And it's a great gift. It actually is. If you, if you get this before Christmas, you can subscribe and give this as a, as a stocking stuffer or a gift to your church or to your kids or your grandkids or to your youth group. Really great idea. Partner with us $36 a year over at sportspectrum.com. Today's guest is ESPN football analyst, former NFL quarterback, Brock Heward. Now, Brock, does something very similar to what we do on our podcast. He hosts a faith in sports podcast. It's called Above and Beyond, and they just finished season one. And it is a fantastic listen on the stories of the intersection of sports and faith. Brock does a wonderful job doing interviews and really getting uh, to the heart of some of these stories that a lot of these big name athletes are going through. And we've had a, a few of the same athletes that Brock has had on on this podcast, including Matt Hasselbeck, who was featured back in episode two of the Sports Spectrum podcast. But Brock is a very unique man because he is literally living in both worlds, the media world, the sports world of ESPN, uh, and the radio world, the sports radio world as a host of Brock and Salk on 710 ESPN in Seattle. But he's also doing this podcast, and he's living in a ministry world as well, telling these stories of faith, very unashamed, uh, unabashed about who he is as a believer in Christ. Brock, of course, played in the NFL for six seasons with Seattle and Indianapolis. He backed up Peyton Manning for a couple of seasons, which is pretty cool. He was selected in the third round of the 1999 draft by the Seahawks out of the University of Washington. His high school career, he was the Gatorade High School Football Player of the Year in 1995. Brock is married to Molly and has three kids, two daughters and a son, and again, is doing really great things in the media world, hosting analyst work, you know, studio work. So he's doing some wonderful things. And recently he was in Bristol, Connecticut, which is where I reside. And uh, we went to a hotel room and sat down and had a really powerful conversation on matters of faith and sports. And I really think you guys will enjoy this episode. So let's get right to it. Episode number 65, ESPN football analyst and former NFL quarterback, Brock Heward. It is great to have Brock here on the podcast. They say that radio is the theater of the mind. <laughs> so if you call a studio one with two beds in it, then <laughs> you know what? We'll roll with it. And so. it's a podcast. So, yeah. it's, you know, it's really the theater yeah, of the mind. Hotel here. room. Um, yeah, Brock, we'll welcome to the podcast, studio. man. This is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. This is so neat. We were just praying before we started and uh, thinking, Jason, about how our, our paths 
cross. Yeah. And I remember way back when, I don't think I've ever told you this, Hasselbeck, Ned Hasselbeck's like, oh, you got to talk to Jason, man. You got to talk to him. Because I was saying to him, like, I, I think Lord's opening these podcast doors for me in a faith deal. And he's like, oh, you got to you got to chat with Jason. That's he's so doing cool. the same thing. And yeah. yeah, look at this. Like a year plus later, here we are. I know. It's amazing. And Hasselbeck was on our second episode of the podcast. He was your first guest, yeah. right? Yeah. So how ironic is that, right? We both got to hear different stories pretty from cool. Matt. It's pretty great. So let's talk about you for a moment. You've achieved, achieved a ton of success in your life. High school quarterback, lots of success there. College quarterback, lots of success. You make it to the NFL. Mm. obviously an awesome achievement in its own right, doing well now in broadcasting. So before we get to all of that, because mm-hmm. there's a lot there, spiritually there's a lot there as well. Take mm-hmm. us to the moment. Let's start with when you said yes to Christ, when your faith walk began. Yeah, that was junior high for me, thankfully. And that was a man named Scott Sears, who's a youth pastor at Bethany Baptist Church in Puyallup, who looked at me in, in our home. So we are the poor man Manning's family. So there's three boys. <laughs> I'm the middle, like Peyton, who I played with in Indy for two years. Yeah. Uh, it's a little different because Cooper, the oldest, was the non-NFL guy. But my oldest brother, Damon, went and played 12 years in the NFL. Yes, he did. Backed up Marino and Brady. He's got a couple Super Bowl rings and and had a remarkable career. And then little brother Luke is kind of like our Cooper. Uh, you know, Damon, <laughs> I guess, would be Eli in this way. But Luke, who's a coach and is an unbelievably witty, smart, driven, everybody life of the party guy, kind of like... Cooper is in the Manning family. So we're the poor man's Manning family and and just a, a family of, of achievers, the son of a high school coach, just competitive as all get out. And uh, Scott came into my life and said, you're going to need Christ. <laughs> you know, just he bluntly said it. Yeah, he just saw me from afar and, you know, just kind of poured into me and, and um, through friends and relationships. And I dabbled with church and we grew up in a really moral, treat people the right way home. Uh, my dad was the high school coach, state champion coach, Hall of Fame coach in town, a kind of a big deal in our community outside of Seattle, and um, and, and really treated people incredibly well. Is is beloved, you mm-hmm. know, uh, in in our little small hometown that's grown into a bigger town now. But um, yeah, Scott Scott said, you know, I think way back then, like you know, I can tell that. And I think he also knew that he could see something a little different in me than maybe the rest of my family. And uh, and I was pursuing at that time a young lady that came from a very strong Christian home that was connected to Bethany Baptist Church. Hmm. And maybe in some ways of protecting her as well, <laughs> there was a, hey, why don't you reach out to this knucklehead kid, see if uh, see where he's at in his life. And it, it was pretty soon thereafter. It didn't take me long to realize how flawed I was, how imperfect I was. Uh, I was an unbelievably intense, emotional, um, borderline irrational guy, mm-hmm. and it didn't even at that age, kind of an old soul, that I could figure out what I what I wasn't and what I really needed, and I needed a saving grace, and made that made that commitment and save um, got saved in my freshman year. So I come from a family of three brothers as well. I don't <laughs> even know if you know that. Yep. I'm the oldest, but my middle brother, Chris, was the first in our family to be saved. Mm. So I wonder for you, I remember what that dynamic was like, because I don't know what it was like with your family, but my brother, when he became a Christian, we all thought he was nuts. We came from this sort of, like you said, moral home, grew up Catholic, but went to church occasionally, didn't know relationship. We knew religion, right? We all looked at him like he was kind of nuts when he first became a Christian. And I still, to this day, am grateful because he's the one that shared Christ with me. Mm-hmm. For you, what was that like, having two brothers, your yeah. family? Were you the first in your family? How did that 
kind of down yeah, in the work. And, yeah, I think so. And then Damon, uh, older brother, had people point into his life. Mm-hmm. You know, that that was probably also to some in some ways the start. If you really do look at the timeline, uh, because Bethany Baptist, there, uh, the pastor's son Brandon Baki, who ended up playing at Fresno State, uh, really good friends with Trent Dilfer. What a small world! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Trent right. became a teammate and everything else. Yeah, and, and Brandon and the church kind of knocked at Damon's door, and he was looking at it and it kind of got me in the door and then yeah my little brother was just on fire in high school he got saved and some of his friends that he helped convert are now pastors today mm. so yeah i would say um it was pretty neat my my parents now go to bible study fellowship wow, you know my dad would come to all of uh, my events you know, I got a chance then at a young age, just through sports, an opportunity to speak at churches and uh, baccalaureates and yeah. um, funerals. And dad would come and man, he'd be in tears and just so moved. And, um, you know, they're uh, they're they're close and they're searching. And my mom is saved. My dad is uh, is searching. But to see them now at Bible study fellowship is just a gift and I mean, blessing. That's a that's a step in the right direction. Let's put it that way. Yep. Just to even step foot in something like that is you know, and it takes a lot of courage. It does, you know? Jason. There's something I think about our small little conservative town we grew up in, smaller, that people weren't afraid to you know also look at my dad. I can think of. Dave Requay, an old PE teacher, a wrestling coach <laughs> that was just on fire. And I could see that. And he didn't mind, you know, knocking on my dad's heart. Like, Mike, there's more to this than coaching, yeah. you know. And looking back at those years that were so timid today at times in our society. And we're so afraid and you know, just, I don't know, should I? I don't want to offend. I don't want to hurt. I don't want... And maybe there was some beauty way back when and looking at, you know, those people that did in some ways just hey, approach me and come into our family's life. And it certainly has uh, you know, been an amazing road since. It's great. We're talking to Brock Heward here on the Sports Spectrum podcast. You go to college and you play your ball at Washington, University of Washington. And there's a story that I heard on your podcast, Above and Beyond, which I highly recommend as people who are listening to this are looking for other podcasts. But you share a story of how your faith in being so open as a believer in Christ almost, I don't want to say backfired, but it kind of took its, it, it kind of came back in, into your face a little bit in an injury that happened. Take us to that moment in college in that time. Oh, you mean a little persecution? <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> hey, the Bible says we're going to go through it, right? Yeah, we better. And if we're walking and we're not getting and facing any of that, yes. we, we better dig into our walk or our accountability and, and those that love us and, and, um, and maybe challenge us a little bit, but yeah, I uh, I I was very open about my faith. Uh, had a had a really neat group of teammates. Had a youth, uh, not a youth pastor, a pastor on campus, Mike Gunn from Athletes in Action, mm-hmm. that was just instrumental in my life. Scott married us. Mike Gunn spoke at our wedding. Yeah. He's in ministry today around the world. Just an amazing guy. And thankful for all of them to be some of my backbone and support because, yeah, I got injured against Nebraska. Grant Wistrom had fallen on my ankle, and I had hurt my ankle. And it was my first significant injury, really, in my life uh, through high school. And that was, I guess, my second year playing in college. And I just couldn't stand on my foot. I mean, and I went back and tried to, like, tape it up, brace it up. This doctor tried to give me a lot of pills, which I wasn't comfortable because I'd never done that in my life. And, (laughs) And I just couldn't go. I yeah. couldn't go, and we were top five game in the country. They ended up winning the national title that year, and and I had a teammate, and I'm pretty sure I know who it was that had written, uh, had highlighted in the newspaper article 
slightly sprained ankle. And then he had written, you know, Philippians 4.13, if you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, question mark, basically, then why can't you play on a sprained ankle? Wow. You know, and it was just blatant, man. It was just right in my locker, just highlighted for all to see. Wow. You know, Philippians 4.13, question mark. Really? You you tell us about your faith. You live this faith. Talk about this faith. Put it on your wristband. You do all this. And you can't play with a sprained ankle. And that was hard, man. Yeah. What did you learn from that? Who I had to I had to walk out of the locker room and and um, have some quiet time. Probably not too dissimilar to Jesus when he had to leave <laughs> his feedings and his miracles and just kind of like, oh man, this yes. is crazy. Uh, <laughs> and just and and just have some peace and have some tears and have some pain and have some heartache and have some crying out to the Lord of just what <laughs> what do you want me to do here? You know. And what do you want me to say? And how am I going to defend myself? And and ultimately, you just defend him. You know, ultimately, I'm not going to back down in my faith. And ultimately, I talked to that teammate. And ultimately, I did everything in my power to, to get back and, and get to playing. But yeah, that was, you know, from a persecution or hardship standpoint with teammates at 19 years of age, that was a, that was a hard pill to swallow at the moment, but one of those faith building times, no doubt. Absolutely. Now you're, you, you get, you have a great career in college. You're selected in the third round of the 99 draft by the Seahawks <laughs> and you come into a team with, some pretty influential people in your life at, at the time with like John Kittners of the world and, and Matt Hasselbacks. What did that mean kind of getting into the NFL as a young Christian trying to navigate the life of being a professional and also being a believer in Christ? Well, it's meant everything. It's that's yeah. my testimony. We each have our testimony and I love yours and, and eventually you will be on my podcast and I love what you're doing. And I love what you did at ESPN here and, Thank you. and that your heart and you're pursuing, you know, your, your heart's desire here and, and each of us have a different testimony. Yours is built out of pain and hardship and um, challenges that I never endured in my upbringing. And some of those scars, I'm sure. Mine, you know, grew up with people pleasing, yes. um, yeah. you know, son of a coach and just an achieve and just work and all of that that has its own cross to bear in some ways. And without without people, without Scott Sears and without Mike Gunn and without, you know, the teammates that I had in Seattle and Indy and the chaplains and Carl Payne and Eric Simpson, and the, I could go on and on. That's my testimony. Mm. And to this day, it is, is, uh, is I have a small men's group mm. and Steve and Graham and Steve, uh, <laughs> and the, the four of us who meet at five 30 at Tolly's coffee on Wednesday mornings, cause our lives are crazy and there's no way we would find any other time to, to meet other than commit to that time at five 30 on Wednesday mornings that I have to, I have yeah. to, yeah. you know? And, um, so yes, to walk into a locker room with Todd Peterson and John Kitna and Carl Payne, the chaplain, and to just have meat and potatoes and to room with John, who is as genuine and as real, whose walk was so authentic uh, in the face of all of that and unbelievable adversity that he fought. It was it's life changing, it's life building. And that's my testimony. What about being a quarterback, though, being friends with these guys, but also competing, in essence, for a job that, you know, only one person can get? How are the dynamics there of trying to be a believer it's John Kitna, right? Sure. And you want to be the starting quarterback. You're drafted in the third round. 
and yet he's your buddy and you're pouring into him, but you're still trying to compete and, in essence, beat him for yeah, a position. It was phenomenal. I mean, it was... Interesting. Yeah, phenomenal. Huh? It, it really was. It was huh. phenomenal. We roomed together. There was no... There was no, no friction or anything. No, there was no bitters. You get the opportunity, you know, wish you wish you the best, you know, going to help yeah. you, going to encourage you, and you, you want to win. I mean, at the pro level, you want to win. Yeah. And you know what? More than likely, you're going to get your opportunity. You know, I think in the NFL in 2017, 50% of the quarterbacks have gotten hurt. <laughs> And it wasn't that much different back. You're going to get your opportunity. And and ultimately, in year two, he got demoted. I got my opportunity. And he and his wife were the most unbelievable. And Jen, his, Jen Kitna, his wife, and my wife are the closest of friends to this day. And she sent me a letter, wrote me a letter wow. with like a care package before my first start. I mean, it wow. was it was incredible. And then take it a step further, <laughs> Jason, after John leaves, then who comes in? Well, then comes Matt. Oh, and then comes Jim Zorn, the QB coach. Oh, and how about Trent Dilfer? How about that room? Wow. How about that room? Yeah. How about the room of Trent, Matt, me, and Jim Zorn? Wow. And, uh, it was, I mean, just ordained. It was unbelievable. Hyper-competitive? Yes. Well, that's what I was going to ask you because I know chops. Trent and I know oh, Matt. I mean, and bust each other's chops? Yes. Yeah. And Jim Zorn stirred up? Yes. And, and intense and sometimes pounding the table and say, sure, all of that. Yeah. But yeah, when it boiled down to it, you know, when you left the building or you left the practice field and the competition, it was amazing. Huh. I mean, we always still talk about it and we will to the day we die. Like, can you believe we had that year together? Wow. That room. One year. Yeah. yeah. And, and Jim Zorin, you know, the one of our first meetings saying, you know, guys, there's something you do take with you in heaven. You know that, right? Like before first install of anything, you don't buy that. You know, you take something to, you know, what are you talking about, Jim? Seriously, think about it. You take something with you and, uh, and you take your name because it's written in the book of life. Wow. Right? And it was, that that's like was the last thing you're expecting in a, in a quarterback right. meeting. That right? was right. And that was the start of it. Wow. An incredible friendship still to this day. You know, Matt uh, was on my podcast. Jim's on my podcast. Trent's going to be on my podcast. Yes. And those enduring relationships. Yeah. So that's what cuts through. That's what cuts through a competitive, you know, crazy professional business there. Can that, can that, yeah, you can say, yes, that can happen with like-minded believers in Christ. Yes. But can that happen if you're not all like mine? No. It's hard, right? Very hard. And I'm sure you, you were on teams with obviously correct. players that weren't believers correct. or quarterbacks. Oh, too. much more challenging. Yeah. yeah. And there you're just trying to command respect, hmm. you know, and you're and, and much like in my broadcast world now where I'm surrounded by 90% of non-believers yes. like you were when you worked at ESPN. You're just trying to be light. Yeah. You're trying to just command, uh, not command, but you're just trying to just reflect that light of grace and faith and, and humility and what that can look like and hopefully something different. I mean, you saw it, did you not, with all the different analysts that came in through all the years? Yes, of course. <laughs> right? They yeah. were, all, were all hyper-competitive. Very much so. You know, and Everybody whether football, wanted somebody else's job. Why can I be, yeah. why Why am I not the main guy? Why am I the second guy or the fifth guy? They all wanted to, they felt like they were... Uh, qualified or had done enough to be a certain level. But and I'm going to imagine Tony Dungy when you were around him, because I know you've quoted him and told, talked about him in your sermons and yes. different times. I'm going to guess that he struck a little different chord, you know, oh, competitively yeah. and otherwise around others, just as he did for me for two years. Listen, the day Tony Dungy it. came changed my life at ESPN because he didn't care about Tony Dungy and he never knew me, mm -hmm. but he said, tell me about you, Jason. 
and that changed it. It just changed. I started sharing things and he started, I've shared this testimony a million times, but he started sharing things with me and started asking me questions about how I'm being a light at ESPN. And I'm like, wait a minute here. I'm trying to walk Tony Dungy around to promote his book to be on ESPN, Sports mm-hmm. Center, Mike and Mike, all these other shows. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't care about that. He just wants to get to know me, yeah. even in that couple hours that he spent with me. Yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. Did you see others in your in your time around some of the other Christian folks in the building? Could you tell, you know, because I think you bring in a good question. And I loved, there was one of um, one of our podcasts this year that I got into. Can you be competitive? Yeah. Right. How, can you be a, a Christian? And Erwin McManus is a guy I love out of L.A. Yes. And he had an awesome sermon on that, on just what does it mean to be competitive and be a Christian? Mm-hmm. I have one of my coworkers who doesn't know the Lord. He he it was he'd asked me about that. It was Steve Largent. It was in, in that podcast that Steve yeah. talked about that competitiveness. Yep. And uh can you really walk a Christ centered life and be ultra competitive too? I mean in an ultra competitive field that you were around a lot of these guys, did those Christians stand out? Yeah, they really did. And I can even speak from experience for myself. There was a moment that I was going for this job with a colleague of mine and I thought there's no way I'm not gonna get this job. I mean, it's it's locked. I've been doing this a lot longer than that person. I've been, uh, you know, I've been doing things that that person hasn't done that should qualify me more for the job. I didn't get it. And I had to humble myself. I had to eat a lot of humble pie. I had to go and scream and yell into my pillow to get out the emotions and then come back and say, how can I be the best teammate with you? That was hard. Yep. It was very hard. Yep. Um, but I've also seen it with other people. And yes, the, the believers do stand out, I think. Um you know, it took a long time, Brock, to get to to find who the believers were that weren't on air. That was hard, especially until probably the social media time when everybody kind of would start to let their guard down through the lens of a social media post or two. Yeah. Before that, you just hoped that you had a conversation and somebody mentioned church and then maybe you got an opportunity to talk. But otherwise, it was yeah. it was difficult. I mean, yeah. did you find it? Was, was it like that for you, too? And Playing in the NFL, I mean, especially before the social yeah, media age, football was a little unique in that way. It was. And I'm yeah. thankful for that because yeah, you had a chapel. It, but it just like exposes that. everything. <laughs> That's know? true as well. It is so humbling. There's so much failure. The higher you climb, the harder it is, and it just, you know, it's pretty raw. Yeah. You know, it's pretty raw, and the conversations in locker rooms are pretty raw. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember so vividly one of my Christian teammates, my rookie year. <laughs> We called him Little Peter, and I loved him. And he held everybody accountable. That if if you if you claim to be Christ, you know, he was going to yeah. come alongside, like not not to non-believers, right? But to those that really claimed and would wear the WWJD bracelets, yes. right, at the yeah. time, and, yeah. and and then you know start to lose their mind and talk about things. And he would just walk right up and he kind of like point to their bracelet, like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> "Oh, I'm sorry, man. You're right. That was that was really stupid. I, I won't do that again." You yeah. Know? So yeah. No, I think some of the camaraderie, some of the rawness, some of just the failure that comes out in sports, most of that gets pretty exposed. That's good. Now, you mentioned, and we're going to talk about your disciple group now in a moment, the 5.30 a.m. on Wednesdays (laughs) and why that's so important. But let's go back to your playing days in the NFL. What did the 5.30 a.m. time that you have now look like then? Where was it? Was it even there. Oh, absolutely. Okay. It was team studies. It was um, small groups. It was couples Bible studies. It mm-hmm. was PAO. It was some of the richest. Yeah. I mean, just some of the richest, most fertile spiritual ground that my wife and I have ever 
uh, been planted in. Hmm. Yeah, and and we talk about that to this day. My wife was an athlete. She was a college basketball player. Stalked her, pursued her um, for many years to convince her to marry me, but uh, it eventually <laughs> happened. Got to um, do what you got to do. Right? Yes, but you know, she like a lot of athletes. You just get routine. You know, my Golik likes to say it's just you know we're we're trained. It's a we're itineraries. What's my itinerary? Yeah, and you know we functioned really well young in our marriage with that kind of structure. We got hmm. married. Our last year of college. Wow. Yes. Uh, right in our last semester of college. We got married right before the NFL. And and then to have Jen Kitna and to have Sonny Weiner and to have uh, Chuck and Barb Snyder, who are our you know, family you know, kind of Bible study built in with the team, was amazing. Amazing. Hmm. So that is my testimony. There is no doubt about it. I love to say to the church groups that I get the chance to speak at or small groups like, Think about it. In our city of Seattle with the 12s, you see 12 everywhere. 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 And to me, when I see 12, I get this little smile on my face because I just think of the 12 disciples. Yes. That they, he needed 12 knuckleheads. <laughs> not one, not two, 12. Yeah. And he needed them from all walks and all backgrounds and little Peter and all of them, right? Who brought there, some were doubts, some were strong, some were lovers, some were haters, but he needed all 12 together. And um, I am no different. It's why I've always been a team sport guy. You know, that's in my DNA as the son of a coach. And no, I know that um, there's just no doubt that, you know, the richest, deepest roots were built there in relationship with others in those accountability groups. Now, your life now is a little different, a lot different than your playing days. You do radio, you do TV, you do color, you do games, you do radio hosting in the morning, you do studio work, mm-hmm. podcast. Most don't get to delve into all these broadcasting areas like you're in right now. And I think I'm curious from let's talk broadcasting side first. So faith, faith will put to the side for a minute and just say preparing and handling and doing all of those different things. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you juggle those? (laughs) That's not easy. I just I don't know how I juggle one podcast and you're doing podcasts and radio and shows and games, NFL, college. Talk, talk about that. Yeah, talk to me in a few years. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah it, it stretches the margins. It's really the, the football seasons where it's just chaos. It's yeah. total chaos of of just doing a morning show every day and traveling every weekend and three kids and my poor wife. And thankfully, we have a wonderful church. Thankfully, we've got a, a young gal that lives with us that we're pouring into and she pours into our kids. That's and great. it's just, you know, we can make it work during the season. And then we take a little breath out of season and uh, and reconvene and see how we're going to make it all work moving forward. But these are doors that he's opened. That's yeah. and I never ever ever imagined you and I would ever be <laughs> in a hotel room doing any of this. Right. I was going to be a doctor, uh, and then football happened, and then I was in real estate development, and media happened, mm-hmm. and those just doors opened. I never, I could, if you would have told me in college, like, oh, you're going to be a sports. Sports radio, you're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. There is no chance. I am not a blowhard. I am not any of that stuff. I'm not this big personality. There's no way. And sure enough, this door opened, and that door opened, and that door opened, and and that really is how so many of these uh, those kind of ventures you talked about have opened. Well, say let's talk about the spiritual side now of that because that's chaos from August until February. We'll say that's chaos. Say talk about family dynamic talk mm-hmm. about spiritual yeah. groundedness there and staying connected to jesus like what yeah. does that look like yeah. in season we'll talk about out of season sure. in a moment well i think 
I, I you know try to marry them together, but there is no doubt. And one of my small group buddies, Steve Lemery, who is one of the brightest, most mensa men I've ever met in my life. <laughs> you know, he built his whole backyard uh, by himself. Of course. That's his pool. <laughs> that's his outdoor living space. That's his sport court. That's all of it and leveled it. You know, that's of awesome. course you did. Because right. I can't do any of that. <laughs> I, none of it. None of it whatsoever. Yeah. But he doesn't like the word intentional. Hmm. We talk about this a bunch. He, he just, because I, and I think it's the word I, I think it's the fact that it starts with an I. He is so humble. Hmm. He just, and he just is so thought provoking. He's just one of those men that I hope all of us have in our lives. It just provokes thought in your mind. Like you leave a meeting with him or, uh, or a session with him or an accountability group with him or work situation. And you're just like, gosh, you just think about what he says <laughs> and he doesn't like intentional and I get it. He likes purposeful. And that really is the word I would use. It's a good know? word. I like intentional. I use that a lot when I speak and share yep. uh, because I believe we should always be intentional, but never forceful with my, with our faith. That's the word I use. Yes. But maybe purposeful yeah. might be a better word. And it's just, in some degrees it's semantics, but in some degrees it's not. Intentional starts with an I, like yeah. I'm going to intentionally do this. No, you're not. Yeah. You're going to really follow the will of the Lord and get on your knees and see what he purposely wants for you. And so we have kind of, you know, one of, one of us says that we all kind of smile and he smiles with Joe. I mean, purposeful. So, but I have to be in, in order to balance it. Uh, there has to be incredible purpose and there's got to be a lot of no's to everything outside of my family. Uh, there's got to be an incredible commitment to my wife. There's got to be a date night every Tuesday night during the season, mm. no matter what's going on. There's got to be the ability to say no and maybe not please some people because I can't do this for you. And I'm sorry, I just can't do that for you because my wife and my family is going to come First and foremost. That's hard for Christians because uh, we're called to serve. Yes, it is. So saying no, talk about how that's yes, because how saying yes to something is saying no to your family. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> how about I'm that? Quoting that. <laughs> how about that wisdom? There's that, a quote uh, shop right there. Every, oh. once, every once in a while, maybe my wife has to remind me of that. that yeah. 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 That when you say yes to something outside the home, um, it, you know, now if you're like minded and, 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 and you know what I have found? Um, some of those Tuesday night date nights, she's right there beside me at a speaking event, mm. you know? So it's an opportunity to kind it of is, do life together that d- way. It's exactly right. I still it's share. exactly right. In fact, we had some of the really most, um, just kind of enduring and enduring, encouraging moments this season at that where she came with me to speak. Yeah. Or we had this other fundraiser, this function for this amazing gal doing amazing work in our market, um, the Legacy Institute. And, and Molly was up there sharing and you, <laughs> I don't think I've ever been more proud to just kind of hear her. So be yeah. purposeful. You know, if you want to say intentional, that's fine. But be, pur- be, be purposeful in that sense. I don't think I'm ever going to use that word again. I think you just completely got it out of my I did not You can credit Steve. I credit the, Steve. The brilliant one. Absolutely. Know? Talk about the, uh, the speaking engagements that you do. So obviously, people who are in the uh, faith world, you know, ministry, having you come and speak, that's a different mm-hmm. sort of dynamic. You can be as open as you want about your faith. Yeah. Then you go and speak to these other organizations all doing probably great work or different places and you have to kind of or maybe you don't but i think maybe you have to teeter the line a little bit how can you be in purposeful i almost mm, said intentional mm. how can you be purposeful about your faith yeah. in a situation in a place like that well that's yeah that's another word but it's pretty simple to me and that's authentic mm. and that is really what these podcasts have been yes that's what we're doing right now that's my heart's desire and if i can't be authentic i'm not going to do it mm. 
Right. If it's just a function or something that's asking me to do something that's just not, sorry, I just, I'm not going to go there. Yeah. Yeah. And that ability to say no, uh, has been, uh, learned. It's it my, I don't know if my dad's ever said no to anything. Cause he just is, is, a you know, he just loves, he's a lover of people. Um, but you know that, yeah, that's a, and, and you're right. It, it almost sounds like a conflict cause we're here to serve others. Yes. But, um, we're here to serve our wife. We're here to die for our wives. We're here to, uh, you know, for me to dive to, to my accountability group, man, and to be able to be authentic with them and real with them and say, and, you know, we've got a little scale that we keep. Um, and one of the men in my group had, had got this from Jeff Kemp, actually, way mm-hmm. back when. Yeah, sure. And, and I'm sure Jeff got it from some other wise old man who got it from some other wise old man. And it's probably like, you know, the book of Matthew at the beginning. You know, you can go date this all the way back to the very beginning. But, yeah. you know, we do this little chart of, and we rate one to ten. How's your walk with the Lord? How is your relationship with your wife? How's your um, relationship with your kids? And then how's your relationships at work? Hmm. And we rate them one through 10 every Wednesday morning. And we just put that number out there to really say, yep, uh, man, my walk has been horrible. Uh, Yep, my wife and I are going through it right now. Yep, you know, my kids, my teenage daughters and sons right now, we're we're in the fire, you know, yeah. and to be able to really authentically put it out there. So because guys, guys are wired to sort of put a mask on and say everything's cool. Everything's good. Right. Yes, they are. And that's why it's so important to have this. Opportunity, right? Yeah. It, yeah. I just it's I just can't say it enough. It's a have to for me I to walk with the Lord um, with who he wants me to be. I have to walk with others. I just yeah. I, I am like. Peter and, and, you <laughs> yeah. know, like Thomas and like John and James and the rest of them, Andrew, like I'm just, you know, I have to, I have to be a teammate. I have to walk alongside. I have to have people hold me accountable. I've got to be willing to, and as I'm getting older, I'm just like crying more as I'm sharing yeah. with my guys and my buddies and just live life with them. Yeah. And you're right. Men don't do that very well. No. And in Christian men don't do that very well. I don't want to just put this as men in general, I mean, even people who are believers and profess a faith in Christ struggle with this. We've seen this in our men's groups in our church about just getting guys to open up with struggles. But yep. when they do, you really see a freedom start to take place. Yep. Would you agree with that? Oh, there's no doubt. In fact, in 2018, I can't wait for this. It's uh, circled on the calendar. And my three buddies have agreed to do it. And we're going to take the, the table. We asked the coffee shop if we we can use the table on this Sunday. And we're going to speak to 600 men. Wow. Yeah. And we're going to put the table right on the stage. And we're going to sit there as we do. And just do like you do on do a Wednesday like we morning. Do. We're going to do it. Wow. Because I don't know how many men, Christian men or other men, really even know what that looks like. Yeah. You know, the folks that have asked me a higher ground is the is the group that uh, reaches out to these men. They asked me to do this. And I said, really, you know, their, this was their heart's desire. It's like, what does accountability look like today? Mm-hmm. And, and for Christian men, what's it look like in their home? And I said, well, if I'm going to do this, can I do this? Can I bring these other three that I walk life with? And can we bring our table? And can we? And I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's, that's that authentic message we all need. Why is it so important to do life with just those three or four? Because I think I'm in a world, especially mm-hmm. when I was working at ESPM, where I knew a lot of people. And you sort of say everybody's your buddy or your friend or your connection, even you and I. Like, we're not best Mm -hmm. friends. We don't really know each other that well. Um, But you have that four, that core four, three or four. Talk about the dynamic of why three or four is important and not 
20 or 40 yeah. or 60. And maybe there is some of that too. I think but. there is some of that. You know, you get a chance, obviously, with Pro Athletes Outreach, which, man, was so influential in our lives yeah. and going to those conferences. And, and you know, that's where things deepened with the kidness. That's where there were a lot of tears. That's where there was just a lot. That's where the roots mm-hmm. went deep. Yeah. So I guess that, you know, if you're a person and I'm not, if you're an extrovert, maybe you are that can have deep roots with 30 men. God bless you, man. And you're <laughs> going to just do unbelievable things, you know? Yeah. I uh, just, yeah, I'm, I, I like to just go deep and build some of those deep roots. Now, having said that, Jason, I have, uh, you know, that small group right now. But when John Kidna comes to town and we go to dinner and it's John and Jen and me and Molly, how you living? Mm. Hi, Molly, how's Brock treating you? Like those roots are deep. And those are real oh, questions. Are you can't re- hide. No. Those. And he doesn't, he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't throw jabs, right? I mean, he's coming right in. Uppercut. And Matt yeah. and Sarah Hasselback come, come to town and we go out. How's your marriage? How are you, how are the kids? And it, you know, so while I have that current group of men that we're walking life with, when you do develop those deep roots and that tree is rooted deep by the river, man, you have an opportunity to, still connect and have relationships that are unique. Let's talk about criticism. And I say this from your standpoint as a broadcaster, as a broadcaster who is a believer. (laughs) And, you know, you're watching these guys and you have to be critical of their performance. The great Jerry Madelon, who you probably know as well as I do from ESPN, formerly of ESPN, used to tell me, criticize the performance, not the performer. Mm. But for a believer who we're told to love others and not to judge and to love and serve, your job is to be critical of performance mm-hmm. on the field. How do you walk that walk in both of those areas? Gosh, I don't think I've ever been asked that question. Hmm. Yeah, in, in all my years, even by producers or directors or anybody, okay. I don't think I have ever, uh, ever been asked that before. And I guess I would say to you, uh, that is a question I asked when I got into radio. Really? Way back when I asked the general manager, I said, how am I going to, I'm not wired this way. Hmm. I'm not a, I'm not a sports radio guy that's going to just rip somebody. He's like, you don't have to. I said, uh, I don't know. Most of them kind of do. Most of them do. Yeah. The and, first takes of the world. That's and, what they, that's yeah, what their job is. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? And he had said this and it was through a consultant. He's right. And it's probably, uh, Jason, how I've carried it through studio or games or anything or my radio show. And that is say it to, would you be willing to say it to their face? Mm. Yeah. Would you be willing to have this, what you and I are having right now, face-to-face discussion? You know what? And in the calendar year of 2017, I got criticized more than I ever had in my life. Jim Mora ripped me to shreds, the coach mm. at UCLA. Yes. He, he demeaned me. He demoralized me. He tried to belittle me. It was as personal attack as I have ever gotten in my life, even more than my college teammates. And in that moment, you know what I did? I texted him right away. And I said, man, what's the deal? You know, so are you going to be willing to say this to my face? You know, and, and we went back and forth and kind of aired it out. And, you know, I I felt very comfortable with that exchange and that conversation. And we saw that very differently because in no means was I, he felt like I was just tearing his kid down and burying one of his players. I said, Jim, I would say everything I said on the air right to his face. I would say to that player, like, this is the way it works in the NFL, yeah. the, the, fair or unfair, Justified or not, this is how they're going to evaluate you when you're in this position. That's what I said on the broadcast. And uh, so I guess just having that integrity to be able to realize, and you know what? Many times through the years, 
those hard critiques have walked back in the door at me. Mm-hmm. I had a college coach who I had made some pretty strong, not personal. It was just about the play calls. Yeah. And I said, you're running the ball here. You, did you not see what happened to Marshawn Lynch? Like, run the ball. And he didn't. He threw. It was incomplete. And it was a year later. I had that same team. And I could tell it was a little cold in our meeting. Hmm. And uh, and eventually, he he just couldn't hold. He's like, you would have really run it again? And it was like, wow, that was a year. And it still stuck with and him. And it still stuck with him. But you know what? Kind of like with Jim Moore, too. I just said, coach, yeah, I would have. And that's okay. I, I didn't personally, attack you know, you. attack you. It was just the, that decision that you had made, and and um, yeah. So, I, so many struggle with the idea. I think from a from the sports world, they think when you're criticizing their performance that you're criticizing their performer, which sure. is what G Matt used to tell me all the time to teach these guys when I would mentor him is like, don't be afraid to criticize their performance and don't ever make it personal. Yes. But they still take it personal. Yeah, they can. Yeah, you know, sure they can. And, you know, my buddy Matt Hasselbeck this year has gone through it a little bit with yes. an NFL guy that, again, kind of lost it and tried to kind of tear down his personal character. But, yeah, I mean, that's also the responsibility. And you know what always cuts through? It's the same thing that cuts through with Tony Dungy, who I got to play for, you know, uh, for two years. Yes. You know, who had to critique players, whether it was even the great Peyton Manning, and he could put the plays up there on Monday that even, yes, a Hall of Famer doesn't execute on. And that is do it with integrity and consistency. And, you know, I just, I, I've done this job for 10 years. I don't know when the door is going to close and when it's done, but I can look back and say, and with all my radio shows and all the stuff, the three hours of talking a day on the radio, <laughs> yeah, there's, I don't think there's anything re- I regret. And that, that thought does go through my mind in those moments that, hey, are you willing to say this to their face? Because if you're willing to say it to their face, you may have to one day. Yes. And more than likely, in this crazy media world, as interactive as it is today, you're going to. And when you do, you know, have the integrity to say it to their face. Well, your job requires you to be out more. It's easy to be a radio host and never go out and cover a game. Yeah. <laughs> never see any of these guys. Talk to them on the phone, maybe. And But you, you're also doing NFL games mm-hmm. for ESPN Radio. You're doing college games for ESPN. You're doing your local stuff. I mean, there, this job is one where you're going to be in front of people and have to talk sure. to them. Sure, and, and there have been players. There's a, there's a certain Mariner right now that won't look at me and talk to me, and he's very offended by me. And, and that was simply a, hey, you know, there's more expected of you. The more you're given, there's more expected. And, yeah. and that really bothered him and his wife. And you know what? It, it will probably more than likely spread training in 2018 come to a head and I'll probably go up to him and say hey this is if you're in my position you know you would do and say you know what you have to do and say and I stand by that and this is nothing personal to you um, but this is just my job to do and have the integrity to do so and and, and I'm sorry to interrupt I guess you know I mean to spin that into our our Christian walk too what do you do when you have a friend of yours that isn't walking it's hard. What do you do when you have a someone that you who uh, was walking and is not anymore, or, or is that, that is walking and is in church with you and is just man saying and treating his his wife or his kids or a coworker in a way that you know that's not righteous. Yeah. What are you saying? Yeah. You know, what are you saying to you know as John Kidna would say to me like are you praying for with your wife at night? I mean, are you, are you praying? Are you walking right alongside her? Are you dying to her? You know, and if you've got a friend of yours in a relationship and someone that's that's seeking and walking with Christ and isn't, what do you say? Do you do you know? Is it? I'm a broadcaster, right? Yeah. It's my job to, uh, I guess, to analyze. And as we have those relationships, are you willing to do that? 
Are you willing to say to that friend of yours, that brother of yours, that sister of yours in Christ, like, hey, now this is this isn't what you're called to. This is you're not living to the calling. Yeah, or, and that's hard. Because, or are you so worried you're going to offend? Well, that's what I was going to say. Where there's a fear of rejection, there's a fear of being offending to your, this person. But I think it goes back to what you said about transparency and being authentic. You got to be able to get in somebody's face and tell them and allow and almost give them permission. To say, Brock, listen, if I'm messing up, I am giving you permission to come at me and get in my face. And that's when it, there's you just take it. You just bring it and say, that's okay. That's beautiful, man. It, it, as I told you, I had never thought about that question before. Uh, but over the last few years, uh, I've developed some relationships with these coaches. right? So this is, this is my 10th year on the college football road. And there's a number of them that have had stability that I've been in their offices a lot. And over the last few years, <laughs> I have found myself, I haven't thought about this, um, but I've found myself saying to these men, permission to speak freely? Like, yeah. hey, I'm going to take this to a level or place that we don't have to go public with it or anything, but permission to speak freely? Hmm. And more often than not, it is something like with their team of selfishness on the field or or just a really like, I'm not understanding how these two things, you've said this, but this is what I'm not, there's a real disconnect permission to speak freely. And you know what every one of them says? Of course. And then even if it's hard, like, it's kind of a tough one. Like, yeah, Yeah. well, you, you gave me permission, you know, and hopefully we have relationships and that's a secular professional world. Yes. man, I would hope our personal relationships, especially with those brothers and sisters is one that we can do that. I think we even miss that in the professional world somewhat. I can remember a time when had no idea what was going on at work. And then I got a review, mid-year review, and it was awful. And everything was, it was terrible. Like, Jason, you need to do this and you need to do that more. And I said, where did this come from? This is kind of out of nowhere. Like, I would have been, I would have loved it if you just told me up front that you were starting to see this pattern. So I could have worked towards not going down this road. And it was in your face and just boom. And I got very offended, very upset about it. And I I would argue that you could bring this into the workplace too. Have permission to speak freely. Let's be honest. I'm giving you permission to tell me if I am not doing the job I'm supposed to be doing, so that a I can either get better or b you can just you say you warned me and it's time yeah. to move on. <laughs> yeah, I guess Peter had a lot of that, right? Yes, he did. <laughs> yeah. Permission to speak freely, Lord. Yeah, well, he's the guy gonna, that put his foot. In I'm his not mouth. gonna fail you. Yes, you are. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. I'm really not. Three yes, times. Three times you lose her. Yes, you exactly. are. Exactly. <laughs> We're talking to Brock Heward here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. I want to talk about parenting a little bit with you. You're the dad of three kids, two girls, a high schooler, a middle schooler, and your boy is an elementary Mm -hmm. age. You became a dad after your playing career ended, correct? Tell me about being a dad. What it mean, not just what it means to you, but sort of what that has done to you as a man. Humbled. Mm. Yeah, it's there's no doubt. Just as marriage does. Yeah. Right. Just as I say to a lot of these 20 somethings in this crazy media world and even 30 somethings that aren't married and they're just grinding and they're working all these hours and all this. I, I'm not going to get married. I want to get this settled. I want to do, uh, you know, you find somebody that you're willing to die for. There's nothing harder and there's nothing more humbling yes. and there's at times nothing more challenging, but there's nothing more growing and more rich in the way that God designed it than to just 
die to yourself. And um, parenting is going to be the same way. We're just getting into it. We've been at, uh, our kids have gone through, with my work, it's provided the opportunity to have a small Christian school mm-hmm. that has cultivated a lot of their both education and their faith and their relationships, but it's a small school. And my oldest daughter, um, on her her decision, said, I think I'm ready to spread my wings a little bit. And we've gone into the big public school. Oh, and, wow. it's, and it's opened a lot of conversations yeah. and a lot of doors that if it wasn't going to be in high school, it was going to be in college, that, that, that those doors will open, whether it's at 18 or in this case, almost 15. Yeah. And culture is going to bombard and is bombarding. And uh, we spend, I think, Jason, uh, if you were to calculate the hour that we spend on that Wednesday at 530 over all these years, I would say, I don't know, 60% is on parenting and 30% Mm. is on marriage, Mm. right? Maybe 10% are professional lives, (laughs) Yeah, right? It's just that's, or maybe it's 60 now that we're all getting teenagers, getting closer to that, maybe early it was 60% marriage and 30% parenting. And maybe that's, you know, going back and forth. Reversed, but, yeah. yeah, man, we're right. We're right in it. And don't you dare ask me for any answers. Cause all I know is I got to get on my <laughs> knees, but I do, you do have to be authentic. Yeah. You can't close the door and you can't have the doors closed. You know, I, I don't know if we'll ever take the door off the hinge. I know some of my friends have had to do that in some of their kids and relationships, you know. Um, I, I want I want that door to be just open in any real authentic hardship. And there's going to be failure. There is. Just as I failed and you failed, there is going to be failure. Isn't that the and, hardest part, though, as, yes. as a dad? Because for me, I want to let my daughter fail, but I also want to tell her, this is not what you should do. You should do this. And it's almost, there's a balance between discipline, between teaching, mm-hmm. and between getting upset or angry over things that they might be doing wrong. It's yes. just a struggle. I, yeah. I'm i shaking my head looking at you thinking about it right yeah. now. It's a struggle. I mean, what does that yeah. look like for you? Yeah, I, you know, I have expressed this and I will continue to. And I know the world thinks this is bizarre and crazy and weird. And, you know, I get called weird a lot by the secular world and that's okay. So do you. <laughs> We're supposed to yes, be. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I have said to my oldest and I'll say to my middle and, you know, to Titus too and, and a, my son in a different way that, my job is to, I feel like this is what the Lord has put on my heart. My job is to protect your heart and your purity. Mm. And I'm going to do all I can for that. Yeah. That's hard in a world that is so, even in your daughter's world where, you know, she's now in public school. And I think about my daughter and she comes home and she's like, dad, they're writing this thing, things on the wall. Dad, you don't let me watch shows that my friends are watching. Dad, they're calling me innocent. They're mm. calling me these words that I just... Yeah. Uh, it makes me cringe and it yeah. saddens me, but at the same time, I'm kind of cheering inside. Yeah. Is that weird to think like, no, right? No. Because it's like, good, I want you to be different. Yep. I yes. don't want you to be conformed to the pattern of this world. I want you to be set apart. And my wife had a beautiful kind of word picture of this um, pretty recently. And she said, you know, uh, and they've all, you know, said a salvation prayer. They, they All three of my kids have done that. Yes. And... Um, they desire and and they seek in their own ways. And my wife said, you know, in this battle with culture that our teenagers are going to be in, there are going to be some rough waters. I just want our kids to hold on to the oars. Yeah. I just want them to keep rowing. Like beautiful, PJ Fleck, beautiful right? yeah. row the boat, but I just want them to keep rowing because the storms are coming. 
You know, the storms will absolutely come yeah. and sometimes they're going to flood the boat and sometimes it's going to go, go the wrong way. And just like I think in all of our lives, if we're honest and real and vulnerable and authentic, but just hold on to the oars, just don't give up, right? Yeah. Just don't get thrown overboard by culture and just swamped and overwhelmed because there's so much pain, yes. you know, so much pain and heartache if you do. Absolutely. It's good stuff. We're talking to Brock Heward here in the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Let's end it with this. We did this with one other guest, and I really liked uh, the way it went. So I want to do it with you, try it with you. So this is a little thing we call one movie, one song, one book. Oh, boy. So you got all the time in the world as a podcast. <laughs> oh, but boy. Let's do one movie, the most important movie you've ever seen. And I say important. Maybe not the best movie. Maybe not the <laughs> movie that you watch over and over and can quote. But maybe the most important movie that you've ever seen. Mm, 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 mm. And we can edit all this yeah. mm, mm, out, so take your time. <laughs> oh, that is funny. Gosh, I don't... I, yeah, I mean, Braveheart was such a cool movie for me. Like, my high school and college years, and then my pro, that was like when I was playing. I was going through battles, and... Man, I just wanted to be a warrior for my teammates in college. So that's the movie you put on and inspired you. Yeah, to get that out was there a movie. Just like if William Wallace could do this, <laughs> look at what he did, and, right? And he, yes. it, it just, yeah. I, I think in my kind of years, those were that was probably like seventeen to twenty-three from yeah. a movie standpoint. It would be one of those. Okay. Uh, you know, what the other funny one that comes to mind that was Rocky Four. I was going to say the same one for me. Rocky Four? Rocky Four. Are you serious? I would put on the Rocky Four training no, montage when he was in yes, Russia. Yes. And this is my, this is eighth grade for me. And yeah. I would listen to that music or watch that scene. And then I'd go out and try to play a thousand percent. Eighth man. grade basketball. I've only done that a thousand times. <laughs> Yeah, I've only done that a thousand times in my life. Rocky Four. And then, you know what? Um, after I got drafted, they did this this photo shoot for these football cards. Yeah. And they had this video game contest. And I ended up winning. I wasn't even a good video game player. But this game we played had a glitch in it. It was They, they knew they couldn't play whatever the popular one was because everyone did it. So they tried to make it a level playing field. And it was like uh, NFL quarterback club okay. or some goofy one. Yeah. And it had a glitch in it. And my landlord in college, his son played it. So I knew this glitch. Like it was an unstoppable play. It was like in Tecmo Bowl. It was an unstoppable yes. play. The Lawrence Taylor yes. play. And Bo I, Jackson play. Yes. And I knew this glitch. <laughs> and I only pulled it out when I really had to. And I ended up winning. And I ended up winning a one-year lease on a BMW. Wow. I would have never bought it, whatever, but I won a one-year lease. And uh, to that point, not only the training montage, but when Rocky gets in the car before he goes to Russia, right? Uh, no I, easy way out. No easy way out. I remember getting in, in my BMW that I got and I picked up and there's a, there's a freeway you can drive pretty fast and it was at night and I'm like... I'm going to go Rocky Balboa right here, man. I'm going to play No Easy Way Out. I stepped on the gas, and I'm just jamming. So, uh, Yeah, that one has some funny memories. I remember, too, he had the word What a dork I was. Oh, we were all dorks. He had Southpaw on his license plate. You remember that? I mean, that's how bad it was. That's how crazy we were as kids. All right, let's move to songs. Right. So one song that has maybe had an impact on oh, you in your life, geez. or it might be a song right now, maybe mm. a Christian song or some kind of uh, musical influence that's had an impact. Probably just impact. give me Jesus. Yeah. I would say that one through college, prose now. And there've been some really neat, I could think of Billy Graham's wife yeah. at her service. You know, I'll play that. I probably play that once a month just to, I don't know why, you know, this goes way back, Jason, but you know, I, 
I watched the 700 Club. Yeah. You know, I was talking to my older brother about this just very recently. He's like, you did? I don't even remember. I'm like, yeah. I don't know why. Because I was called. Because Christ called. You know, he had a call on my life. And um, it was knocking at a very early age. And, you know, um, that that song is just, yeah, it still strikes me. And if you played it right now, I'd probably break it down. Into <laughs> but just give me that. When all is said and done, just give me Jesus. I mean, honestly, is that not the motto that we should be all living by, right? Just give me Jesus. How about a book? I know you do a lot of reading. One book that you've read that has had maybe a lasting impression, mm-hmm. other than the Bible, of course, but yeah. something that, or maybe something that you've read recently that you're like, man, I want to recommend that book. Yeah, that's a good question. Hmm. Um, Bill McCartney wrote a book from ashes to glory. I'll give you one little story and then I'll give you another one. Um, and, and when I was in high school, I told you about Bethany Baptist. Well, the pastor had come from Boulder, Colorado and had relationship with Bill McCartney. Mm-hmm. And he, of course, the former coach the former for Colorado, coach of Colorado yes. and promise keepers, the founder of promise keepers. Absolutely. And, and my youth pastor through that relationship would give me this book from ashes to glory. And I read that as a senior and Bill McCartney called me one time in the recruiting process. He called me one time. Wow. Rick Neuheisel was his coordinator and he called me a few times when I was being recruited, but Bill called me like on a, like on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night one time. And I had just finished his book and I honestly said to him, and it was totally the Lord and it was totally a divine appointment. How are you going to do this? Hmm. How are you going to do this ministry thing and keep coaching? You know, and then I got on the plane for the first time in my life on my first recruiting trip to Pitt. Johnny Majors was going to rec- resurrect Pitt. Chris, uh, Ken Karcher, their coordinator, was a believer, loved him, went out on this recruiting trip. I got to my hotel room and Bill McCartney resigned. Resigned. Resigned from Colorado. Oh, wow. And that was days after I had that conversation with him about that book that had been given to me. Otherwise, I would never have had that divine appointment to ask him that question. Wow. So from a book standpoint... That one was, um, yeah, that one was pretty, pretty telling way back when. That's powerful. All right. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for your time. And we always end our podcast with this specific question. uh, And it's always an easy question for me to ask. It's not always an easy answer for a lot of people. But for you, Brock Heward, in regards to your relationship with Christ, what are you Mm -hmm. learning from him right now? What are you learning from the Lord right now? Yeah, get on my knees and cry out to him. Yeah, really. I mean, that's no different, but to really do it and to, and to pray with your wife and kids. Mm. I don't think that's enough. That's don't, I, I'm guilty of not doing enough of that. We did it when we were young, yeah. when we tucked our kids in, when they were right. six and seven. I sure seemed to be easier with Titus at eight than it is with Haley at almost 15, and it shouldn't be. Mm. And it shouldn't be. Like, we should be able to pray with our wife and kids. It's been the biggest stumbling block. I think the enemy, it is one of his areas he loves to attack. If you look at that little chart I was telling you about that that my men's group does, we have gone round and round. We have had a fine jar, like some have with a cuss jar, right? We've had a fine jar for, like, just trying to go a week straight of praying with our wives Hmm. or a month straight of praying with our wives and it is amazing the amount of attack on that because the enemy doesn't want us to be hand in hand, you know, on our knees, just doesn't want that partnership. He wants to divide. He wants to distract. He wants to separate. And um, why do we struggle with that, Brock? Because <laughs> I struggle with that. My daughter, I mean, I was in her room every single night until age 10 or 11. Then she becomes a sixth grader, a middle schooler, and for some reason, it just starts to drift. Yep. It's a slow fade, as the song goes, right? And then all of a sudden, now I think 
I can't tell you the last time at night yeah. when I've gone in and prayed with her. We try to pray at different points, but like that time was so precious and yeah. now it's, I feel like it's gone. Because that's what the enemy would really like to do. <laughs> yeah. Like just the same thing he wants to do in our relationships. He doesn't want us to be like-minded in that way. He just doesn't. And one of the beautiful, and I'll leave you with this, one of the beautiful, again, pictures, and I don't think I've ever even shared this story, is two of my men in the men's group. They're a little more volatile. They have a deep, those roots, theirs go a little deeper than the four of us. It started beforehand, and they have shared some really intense stuff. And one time it got real hard. And they literally at the table, like, lean into each other, and we're going to hug, and I'm like, like, I'm going to fight for you. Wow. I'm going I'm to fight for this and wow. um, yeah. having the willingness to do that, man, and to continue to get our knees and fight for our relationships that really matter. It is. We are, we are in the in a war. Let's yes. put it that way. We're yes. in a battle every single day. He is Brock Heward, ESPN football analyst. I say football because he's done college and NFL, host of Brock and Salk on 710 ESPN in Seattle. And we didn't even get a chance to talk about Above and Beyond, your <laughs> podcast, my friend. But real quickly, your podcast yeah. has it was sort of done by seasons. Yeah. So your first season just finished. And I recommend highly that everybody who's listening to this mm-hmm. podcast go to iTunes, go to wherever you can listen to podcasts, and listen to Above and Beyond. It is awesome. Really well done. And it's just like this, the intersection of sports and faith. But how about season two? I know it's coming. How's that going along real quick? Well, I'm not good enough (laughs) nor talented enough to do them every week like you do. I have just marveled from afar at this. For you at the doors that have opened for you, Jason, in well, this. Thank you. And yeah, seriously. And for Sports Spectrum and the platform you guys have, and it shows the need. And I love that over 100,000 people have downloaded your podcast. It's just been awesome. Yeah. But seriously, and I say to my, uh, to the producer, James, boy, howdy's his nickname. I said, oh man, we look at yours every week. And like, Gosh, this is amazing. Like, we did 15 of them and it was like, oh, it was so much work to do 15 yeah, for hard. the doors <laughs> to open. So, yeah. you know, um, just, just bless your heart, man, and keep it going and, and be praying for you in this opportunity. Our season two will begin after the draft. That's when we did last year. We do about 15 okay. is kind of what we can crank out. After the season's over. After the season's <laughs> the over. Season. And yeah, and we'll kind of just see what doors open or close. And it's been amazing to see that. You know, it's been transformative because there have been some doors I've been knocking on, like, come on. And like, no, yeah. Yeah. no. That door is not to open yet, and when it will, it will. Yes, and um, and I know that you have walked that yourself. So keep doing what you're doing. I can't believe we're already done. I know <laughs> that went way too fast. It's a whole hour here. So, this has been no, great. It's a, it hasn't been an hour, has yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> one hour. Oh gosh. Yeah, man. Oh, so we'll have to do this again. I you will have to do it to. on mine. I will come on your show. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Jason. And we do thank ESPN football analyst, former NFL quarterback Brock Heward, for joining us here on the Sports Spectrum podcast, a little behind the scenes too. When we started taping this interview and we were in a little tiny hotel room in Bristol, Connecticut, across the street from ESPN. And before we started, Brock wanted to pray. And I know that sounds sort of cliche as a Christian. Oh, let's just pray before everything. But it really set the tone and the mood for the interview and and set our hearts in the right place. And I can't recommend enough as you guys go about your daily lives, whether it's just going to work or getting ready for a big event or church or something, to really just close your eyes for a minute or two and just thank God and just give it to him. Whatever you're doing, just give it to Jesus and let him be in control. And I think what that does is it really prepares our hearts to receive whatever 
comes our way, good or bad, knowing that we have placed it in the hands of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for joining us here in the podcast. You can reach us on Twitter at sports underscore spectrum, as well as Instagram at sports underscore spectrum. We also have content on our Facebook page. Just search sports spectrum. And every single podcast that we produce, that we post, is available on our YouTube channel now. So you can go to YouTube, just search sports spectrum. You'll see the logo and subscribe there and never miss all of the content is not just our podcast that we put on YouTube, but we have a lot of cool videos and testimonials and even some video of the podcast that we've taped will be on there, including this interview that we just did with Brock Heward. So check it out over at our YouTube page. You can email me, jason at sportspectrum.com with any ideas, comments, uh, guest thoughts, just a, maybe it's a prayer request or some encouragement, whatever you want to do, feel free to email me. Jason at sportspectrum.com. Love to hear from you. Love to hear stories of how these interviews have impacted you or, or just what you think or just how you're doing. So please feel free to reach out. And as always, leave a review on iTunes. Go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, click the review button, and then just leave a review. Five-star review would be wonderful. But anything you think about the podcast, please leave a review. It helps get the word out. Thank you so much for joining us. And again, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to everyone listening to this podcast. We hope you have a great holiday uh, time off. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Lots of great things happening with Sports Spectrum. Hope everything is going well with you. And I uh, hope you enjoy time with friends and family. Have a great rest of your day. And we'll see you next time right here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. <laughs>